Hey, it's Nate here, CEO of Powder Blue Media and creator and editor-in-chief of Unplugged. I want to talk to you about our Patreon account we recently set up. Now, if you're familiar with our brand, you know we're all about setting a high bar for quality content and always ensuring we clear that bar. In doing so, we believe that clicks and views should never be a priority, which is why we're strictly against featuring advertising on our website. Now, that being said, if you like what we're doing and want to support us, consider becoming a patron for as cheap as $1 a month. Depending on the tier you select, you get access to exclusive content, limited drops, special promotions, and more. You can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash unplugged. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash unplugged. That's U-N-P-L-U-G-G-D. And yeah, on to the show. Let's go, y'all. Northwest and let's go. Check it out, y'all. Hey, hey, I said, Nathan Graber Lippin' at AKA NGL. His show is the truth like NGL. That means he's not gonna lie and he's clever when he speaks. Plus he runs unplugged as the editor-in-chief. Special guests on this show have gotten exposure. Discuss the sports, music, and popular culture. Streetwear, and don't forget the entrepreneurs. Cause when it comes to interviewers, man, this dude is the future. Always keeping it current with the old and with the new. Make sure you tune into the GL Review. Welcome back to the GL Review. Thanks to freestyle rapping legend Sam I Am the MC for that awesome intro theme. You can follow along with his work at Sam I Am the MC on Twitter and Instagram. For now, though, I'm Nathan Graber-Lipperman, creator and editor-in-chief of Unplugged, as well as the CEO of Powder Blue Media. Our media startup ran out of Northwestern's very own incubator, The Garage. Every Wednesday, I'm bringing you guest interviews and pop culture panelists, as well as covering some of my more eclectic interests, such as streetwear, entrepreneurship, and ultimate frisbee. Now, I'm excited to bring you this podcast, the 31st edition, which features Sam I Am, <laughs> funny enough. So... Way back when I was working on a project with this guy, Dan Grambau, uh, through the garage, and he was looking to launch uh, a startup called Dandelion, which was a nonprofit where uh, recording studios, he's basically making like mobile recording studios throughout the city of Chicago that were very accessible and cheap. So for someone who wanted to record music or their own podcast, they would be able to do it in a cheap, effective manner. And through that, we started a podcast series where we went around the city and talked to different artists and just kind of got their thoughts on the idea and just like what it meant to be an independent artist and whatnot. And Sam was one of the first people we talked to. He's been freestyling in Chicago for years upon years. He's been on you know, like nationally televised competitions on MTV. He's just one of these guys that's incredibly talented. And it really cracked me up when I first went to meet him because I, I, you know, shook his hand and everything and he was sweating. He, he was nervous to be interviewed. And I was like, here I am as a college student. I'm like, this guy's nervous to be interviewed by me. But um, you know, he, he was a great, warm, friendly guy. Uh, the more we talked on the podcast, the more he opened up and had a lot of really great thoughts on the city of Chicago and the cultural scene. So yeah, it, it was a great interview. Been sitting on it for a while and can't wait for you all to listen to that. As you know, as well on my podcast, I've been doing a weekly kind of just recap of what's going on with us, what's kind of going through my head and whatnot. And well, if you've also been paying attention to Unplugged, you've probably noticed that I launched my own newsletter. Uh, 
the GL Review newsletter that's coming out every Wednesday along with this podcast and kind of talks about how culture influences business, the future of media, and the pod songs and memes you should be paying attention to. This week, um, you know, I touched on this weekend uh, with the shootings in Dayton and El Paso, and those those are always tough things to read about, and I don't think I can do it justice uh, talking about it here on the podcast, but if, if you want to see my thoughts, check out the newsletter for sure. Um, that's, that's one of those things that I really care about and think we need to get that fucking solved but in any event i'll uh yeah but the other thing i did talk about in the newsletter was this whole idea of creating your own luck and kind of explored the whole food story because we were kind of looking at where we were with unplugged a couple weeks ago and we were a little down we were like what's next what what are we doing what's the what's the model what's the business and then we kind of look back at a lot of the cool things we have started, a lot of the awesome experiences and uh, progress we have made as a startup. And one of those things, as you probably know, last month in July with Whistles, I mean, yeah, we got a little lucky in the sense that Jeremy, Jake, and Jared uh, are such hardworking, talented guys. They wanted to devote their time and work on this podcast, but... You know, at the same time, like I've been working right alongside with them and teaching Jeremy how to, uh, you know, edit audio, and he's just really taken that and ran with it, as most running backs do. But um, it's it's been really great watching that develop, and I just think this whole idea of creating your own luck—you know—you can only control how hard you work. Um, but if you study the stories of some of the most prominent entrepreneurs and startups over time, there's always like a specific defining moment or decision that defies all logic and ends up being the difference between succeeding and failing. And I personally point to the story of John Mackey, the creator of Whole Foods, who credit how I built this, um, side note, plugging how I built this great look at uh, entrepreneurs, startups, and uh, the stories behind that. Uh, their their rise but um Mackey was someone who was working on whole foods in the late 70s early 80s he starts it people love it and yet his original like forty thousand dollar investment it's running out it's running dry he's losing money his investors his parents are mad and then one day he was at a local pickup basketball game and he noticed a fellow regular named jay drive off in a bmw Turned out that Jay, who was only a 26-year-old, had inherited a nest egg in the millions, and he didn't work for anything. But he was looking to start investing, and he had started shopping more often at Saferway, which was the original uh, precursor to Whole Foods. And Jay wrote a $50,000 check. He was like, I'm in. And then Mackey's board decided to invest more, and you know, Whole Foods just steadily grew and grew from there. So... Yeah, I, I don't know. This this is an idea I've been wrestling with and thinking about a lot. Um, you know, wherever life takes you, whatever venture you pursue, none of it is going to be easy, whether it's athletics, whether it's education, whether it's, you know, like going to law school, obviously education. Um, 
But look, no one can ever truly comprehend your personal grime or the lump sum of passion you pour into your endeavors. But every once in a while, I think we owe it to ourselves to really take a step back and look at what you've done and what you've created. And when that time comes, all you can really do is prepare for that life-changing moment. Um, but in any event, yeah, other things that are going on, well, oh, I'd be remiss in not mentioning, go to beunplugged.com. That's our new website. Um, thanks to Kareem and Owen for really putting this thing together. And we're really excited to launch this new thing. So please, please, please go check it out. It's a lot more user-friendly. We think it looks better. Um, so again, it's B-E-U-N-P-L-U-G-G-D.com. Uh, some other things, again, the Whistles podcast keeps plodding along. This upcoming week, this Friday, they're doing a uh, podcast on the big man life, looking at training camp and what it's like to be an offensive and defensive lineman. The twist here, though, is that they literally record the entire episode in the hot tub. So it's a bunch of funny guys on that podcast, especially the guests. Definitely check that out on Friday and make sure to subscribe to that. Um, Other than that, yeah, my podcast, which is the one you're listening to right now, and we'll have some articles coming out later in the week. But yeah, just go check out the new website. As always, you can follow me and the brand on Twitter at ByNHEL and at Unplugged. That's U-N-P-L-U-G-G underscore D. And yeah, that's about all I got. All right, here's Sam I Am. I'm here with Sam I Am in Hyde Park. Sam's a battle rapper known around Chicago for his open mics. Sam, how you doing? I'm feeling rather exuberant. How are yeah, you? <laughs> feeling pretty good. And that's the key word, right? Exuberant. Do you think you could lay down a freestyle for us to start out this oh, interview? Oh, sure. I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> So uh, if you all want to throw out some words while I'm, while I'm doing my thing, you know, that's cool. All right, let's do it. First word, exuberant. All right, so here we go. Here we go. Yeah, so it's Sam I am, and I'm feeling rather exuberant. At first, I was going to say I feel jubilant. Who's doing this? Yeah, I'm rapping off for the top. This is cream of the crop, the real hip-hop, and like Howard, I'm stern. Yo, I got to check out the campus on Northwestern because I know that they had a lot of improvements. But MCs, they better go home like improvement. But that's okay because I'm rhyming off the mental, no pen to pencil. I really dig the instrumental. But right now, yo, I got to say that I'm able. This interview means I lay it out on the table But word up, you know that I got the pad and the pen Once again, yo, I love the women that are feminine Go on Lakeshore Drive, Lake Michigan MCs, you know, I shut them down like Bennigan's on Michigan Downtown, but you know, I got the flow And I'm looking at his hoodie and he's unplugged But yo, I gotta go with kick it in this is Chicago But Sam, I am, yo, I'm the one with the hot flow I'm looking up into the camera Sam, I am, yo, I'm spitting fire like Gamera Go ahead and understand because you know I got the rounds when the spark have a good time and high apart it's like that <laughs> wow we, we couldn't even throw out a word or anything because we were just oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> we were just exuberant <laughs> but yeah man so uh, that was the interview uh, thanks for coming uh, no <laughs> thank you God bless you good night <laughs> <laughs> no but seriously thanks to Sam for coming out um, he's he's been working on his his uh, open mics all the time and I, I gotta start out by asking how'd you get into battle rapping what what was your connection to it from the get-go i think you know ever since i got into hip-hop into the late 80s i was always kind of a battle rapper i always kind of was a a satirical kind of guy so 
a tongue in cheek. So anytime I would rap, I was it was always battle natured anyway. Mm -hmm. And then you know I would always say that I'm an MC, I'm a master of ceremonies. And when you're an MC, there's other MCs that believe that they're better. So you know I always knew that I had to be a competitive kind of guy. So I think I would say around the time I was. 13. That was my first like major rap battle at Navy Pier. Really? So yeah, I was trying to get in the crew that I'm still in right now uh, called SAK Stars of Kings and I had to battle a guy by the name of Sonny Pockets who started the crew. Now mind you, he was maybe like 17 or something, but I was freestyling off of the top and that was like my first major battle. I don't even think he knows it, but uh, you know, I guess he won or whatever, you know, I think I hurt my wrist or something, but uh, you know, that was that was kind of like my first battle when it took me into a whole nother realm, you know, and but I always try to put myself on a higher level to always compete against the big dogs. And, you know, if you want to be a lyricist, you know, you have to be able to uh, be challenged and you have to be able to look for challenges. And hip hop is one of those things where I think more than any other genre. You know, the the better the songwriter you become, I think the more competitive, you know, it gets for you. So, you know, uh, I've always just been that way since a kid, pretty much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, I, I mean, I got to ask because you brought it up. Who's the best battle rapper in Chicago? <laughs> <laughs> um, aside from myself. Yeah, of course, um, of course. You know, I mean, hands down, you know, Juice. Um, even though he's not as active as he used to be, I mean, he's definitely like GOAT level. Uh, there's a guy by the name of Mike Booth. He's won a lot of battles, like on the younger side of things. Um, and a lot of the MCs that I love and that I were influenced by, they might not necessarily be battle rappers today, but they were big battle rappers in my day. So uh, guys like uh, Pugsley Adams, Josh Safe, you know, these are people that you know that I looked up to. Like, wow, these are they're very consistent with what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So what's your connection to Chicago? You're wearing the, the Jordan swag, right? Yeah, I had to make sure the 23 was showing. You know? <laughs> Big Bulls fan still? Oh, you know what? Uh, not really, but for nostalgic reasons, you know, it's kind of like, yeah. I guess, being in New York, you know, you know they're not going to win, but, mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're still waiting, you know. But guard packs, come on, you know, we got to fix this, so. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing like rocking. I feel like the Chicago Bull, is that the most, like, Chicago logo out there? The Chicago flag? I would, I would, I would say that. I, I would say so. Um, but right now, I think that the Cubs, no matter what happens, you know, the Cubs are always kind of like a major attraction, or like the Bears. You know, you just mm -hmm. can't go wrong. You know, they're just always going to be there. But yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. You also run all the the rap competitions, still battle rap on the side. Yeah. What is it that keeps you going? What is it just straight out of passion that you keep hosting these events? So, you know, it's kind of like, I don't want them to go through what I had to go through, you know? Maybe it took me being in an MTV battle for a million dollars and not getting anything and being in the final round to pave the way for, you know, uh, maybe somebody up and coming from Chicago to make money, you know what I mean? So, mm. I have to show them that it's not about the exploitation and I think that's one of the biggest things that some of the younger kids don't understand is that um, being on TV does not make you rich. It makes you exploit it. Now, here's the thing. It's, it's about what you choose to do with it, and I chose to do it to better my community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, just going off talking about being on the, the MTV uh, World Rap Championships, you were yeah. like in a whole rash of competitions towards the end of the late 2000s. Uh, mm -hmm. Did you feel like you made a big splash on the stage? Like, 
is there anything that did you love the experience is do you wish you had done something differently so yeah uh basically it's all about how you frame everything like i was saying you know um during the, the early late 2000s i did a lot of battles and um and i'm still doing it right now you know what i mean so i think when people ask me like man i remember when you used to do all those battles or whatever is kind of a tough question for me because technically i am still doing mm -hmm. you know those things so um you know i'm still very much active and just trying to keep it going yeah so i mean yeah you still run these open mics and from everything i've heard you're pretty proud of your connections in the underground music scene again yeah. what you were just saying about promoting those younger up-and-comers but again just kind of circling back to what we talked a little bit about before like um in the end you have to pay the bills right and exactly is it tough kind of distancing yourself from okay this is going to be my side thing and this is going to be the main job that pays the bills or when they say like don't put all all your eggs in one basket you know get your education is, is very important because you want to use that job to fund your dream mm -hmm. you know what i mean and some people you know they just kind of like yo i'm just throwing my hands together and i'm going to have a record deal like and and then when that doesn't happen <clears throat> and you have bills to pay or you have children or a child or just whatever situation you know you have to face that you have to face that music and so that's why you know when i'm doing these events or whatever you know i try to make sure i pay a rapper something or or i try to teach on my page off the top chicago hip-hop because you got to understand that even if i paid a rapper a hundred dollars to perform that's him paying the bill you know so i just want them to understand that the rappers the underground rappers they're valued and i think that is what is the biggest problem in the underground hip-hop community because if we don't have that promotion and if we don't have the resources and the outlets then people might think <laughs> it's a pipe dream you know you know the stereotype when it's always a joke this is a joke uh some females used to say like uh, they'll say hey what do you do for a living if you say rapper they'll be like oh he's broke you know what i mean so so you know but we have to change that like how an accountant teaches financial literacy you know i want to teach like just being underground and just being able to promote yourself and and being able to make <clears throat> and being able to make money you know um off of hip-hop but i realized that if you are going to make money off of hip-hop a lot of people they're not just doing it from uh just shows you have to have multiple streams you know you have to have your website you have to have merch mm -hmm. and you have to have a touring agent you know you have to try to get festivals you know and so that's what I'm really trying to show with the new generation, with the generation that I'm in right now, actually. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So looking back to when you were still uh, really focusing on that battle rapping scene, on uh, rapping, did you record much? Because I was looking online and couldn't find much up on SoundCloud. There was some different things on SoundCloud and some things on YouTube, but for the most part, did you really ever go about recording your music or was it more just like free-spirited if you type sam i am the mc music you should see a plethora of songs you know i have an album on bank i have a lot of my albums on Bandcamp mm -hmm. and soundcloud so if you type sam i am the mc yeah. soundcloud or sam i am uh, sam i am the mc reverb nation which has uh, all of my most recent songs you can go on there and check everything out so mm -hmm. but it's not on itunes yet and everything like that so if that's what you're alluding to yeah 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 well also, just like going back to when you were younger, you know, and looking into recording music, uh, was how how did you access that? How did you go about 
recording music? Uh, did you go to a studio? Did you pay for it? Or well, this it is like this is very very interesting. So a lot of people don't know, but um, my dad he was an engineer for the CTA, but he was also a DJ. So in the basement, uh, he had a little DJ setup or whatever, right by the washing machine or whatever. So I would go down there when I was ten. I said, Dad, I want to start recording raps, you know, and so. I think in 1992, that's when I started recording raps and everything. And that's how I started freestyling because back then, we were just putting a record on and then you had to rap your entire song straight through. So that means if I messed up, I had to start all over again. Mm -hmm. So in order to avoid rapping all over again, I started to freestyle a line or two when I was about to mess up. So you see what I'm saying? So then when I played the tape back, it was like, oh man, this is a freestyle. And then by the time 93, 94 came around, then I realized, oh, okay, I'm kind of ahead of the game. But it all started with, you know, me recording in my parents' basement, you know, mm -hmm. and making raps over the, over the dryer and the washing machine. And, you know, and then it, you know, progressed to working with uh, Deshaun, aka D to the E, and then we made our first, our first album, Refreshing, and then my second studio album was A Taste. Followed with uh, I want to MC for you, and then the albums that I have out now. So I mean, it's you know it's been a gradual thing, but it all started off with you know the basement, and then you know little studios doing pre-production, and then eventually graduated to the studios in the early 2000s. Mm -hmm. So did you ever profit off of any of your music economically, or not really? Um, you know, I, I guess it's all interpretive, but I mean, mm -hmm. I would say yes, I have profited. But as much as being a promoter, no, I would I will say no. Mm -hmm. uh, do you like kind of looking back to when you were still uh, recording more and like uh, doing more and more? And of course, you're still doing it and everything. But um, mm -hmm. it, was there? Do you kind of wish if there was like a system in place that could have helped you promote your music more? Do you think kind of like because you're talking about how a lot you're trying to like give advice to the up and coming rappers and help them out yeah. with their up and I think it was careers. see it, it, you know what's funny is because I think this era has it a lot easier you know what mm -hmm. I mean like the system from my era was before YouTube mm -hmm. so if you wanted to get your music out there you had to literally make a tape you had to go and you know to Dr. Wax and and try to you know get a co-signment you know what I mean um you know before YouTube you were going to different schools to go battle and and look for competition you know everything wasn't at the click of a button you know what I mean so hip-hop was kind of equivalent to going to the library and now everybody can just type Google you know what I mean it was completely different but I think I wouldn't I wouldn't change those grassroots things for anything, you know. Mm -hmm. But uh but for right now, you know, I, I wish that if it wasn't like that before, you know, then I probably would if I was more into the internet hustle back then, I think now that my internet hustle is like much stronger now, obviously, mm -hmm. you know, because and that's what inspired me to become a promoter, you know. Mm -hmm. I was just like okay, well, if I'm not going to get a record deal, then I have to DIY. And in order to DIY, then I need to overstand the steps that it takes to be successful. And in order to be successful, you got to do your research. In order to do your research, you know what I mean? So, mm -hmm. you know, and I think, I think back in the day, what kind of slowed me down is that I was an artist who just wanted to be an artist. You know, like if you're <laughs> today, you know, if you meet a producer, He's making movies, he's mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, making products, he's doing this, he's doing that. And that's what I realized. You can't you gotta be a jack of all trades, especially in the underground if you wanna make some type of money or some type of noise. You have to teach yourself. That's what you really have to do. No matter what era it is, you have to teach yourself and try to be ahead of the curve. You know? mm -hmm.
So it's impossible to talk about the modern music industry without talking about the influence of streaming services such as right. you brought up YouTube, but obviously Spotify and right. SoundCloud. How do you feel about how those have influenced the industry as a whole? With, I mean, you mentioned the click of a button, you can be online. Yeah. Uh, is do you feel like it's good for the industry, or you're mentioning too you would like never trade away anything for that grassroots uh, growth right. from the beginning. Streaming even the playing field for talented people and people who aren't as talented and money. You know what I mean? So I think that's really like the, the biggest difference. You know, streaming is the way and I think it makes it harder like, you know, like I remember back in the day, it was like, man, I can't wait to buy that cassette. And then after a while, there's no such thing as cassettes anymore because CDs came out. And then once CDs came out, then they're like, oh, no, now everybody's going to stream. And so, like, actually, my car has no CD player. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You got to have a flash drive. So I think yeah. that's what streaming is. Streaming is showing that, that times are changing. You know, and it's funny because if you actually look at how much people get paid per stream, it's really, it's really not that much. Mm -hmm. But... It's all in the numbers, which yep. I say that people can distort those numbers to get what they want. You know, I mean, whether it's the fair way or whatever way. But streaming is really kind of like, you know, how people are picked in the hierarchy, you know. And it's kind of sad, though, too, because it's kind of like if I want to get a certain show, the promoter is going to look at what? How many followers I have? Mm -hmm. How many streams am I getting? And so that's why I'm a promoter for the underground hip hop. Mm -hmm. I'm saying, listen, man, it, it, it doesn't matter if how many streams you have. If, if you show that you, you have some hustle, I actually make a website for you. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I actually help put their music or whatever, just kind of co-manage everything. So I think it's just a sign that the times are changing, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, you even just touched on the inequality in the streaming services. I think... There's a statistic thrown around that 10% of artists make 90% of the revenue uh, <laughs> yeah. in, in the industry. Um, and that's kind of where Dandelion slots in with all this. Um, we, we are going to touch on that in a second, but mm -hmm. I, I do have to ask real quick. Um, I mean, obviously, you've come from this background of like the underground, behind the scenes kind of rap battles and the open yeah. mics and whatnot. Um, obviously, in your time, in love with the genre, it's exploded. Um, in 2017, R&B and hip hop officially passed rock as the most popular music genre in the world. Mm. Uh, what do you What do you think about this whole culture going from this small thing performed in the back to this mainstream cultural phenomenon? I think it's I think it's amazing, you know. And I also think that I guess because I'm an underground rapper, like when people say, "Wow, well, now it's like a global phenomenon," but thing is that I've been in the same you know, I've been in the bubble. same bubble, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I guess when things are exploding, I'm just kind of like, I really, it was still the same to me, you know. But what I do love about it is that it's opening the doors for people to dig more of the lyrical rap and the boom bap type of rap, which I see some of the younger generation, like Joey Badass, you know, he's a young kid. He's doing this thing. I don't know. Have you all heard of Afro? Mm -hmm. He's a young kid. You know, he's doing this thing. So. Um, there's a new female uh, rapper by the name of Brittany Carter. Uh, look her up. She's young and, and doing her thing. So I think that 
now that it's getting more global and it's and it's having a resurgence, I think it's going to give a chance for maybe a promoter like me, like how I'm doing events in Wrigleyville and Subterranean. But before it was more like, hey guys, let's throw, let's let's just break dance on the corner mm-hmm. and see and see if we could get some attention. You know, let's go to you know Navy Pier with some linoleum. But now. You know, if you can present it right, you know, then maybe, you know, we could take this underground thing, uh, thing corporate. So I think that's that's a good thing. I think it's going to just provide more opportunities. And I don't know if you all noticed, but the golden era was between the late 80s through the early 90s of hip hop. And that was a more innovative era of pro- uh, production and lyricism. So right now, some people would call this the mumble era of rap, which which is interpretive based on what you want to believe. Mm-hmm. But now that everything is getting way more publicity and everything, and it's on the upswing for hip-hop and underground, that means that the golden era, which I you know, champion, I think everything goes in cycles. Everything goes in circles. So I think if everything just keeps on pace, that you know, the sun will rotate. You know? Yeah. We're going to, again, we'll definitely, to close this all out, we're going to touch on the local scene and dandelion but i have to ask just because like you're going this route too who would you say is your favorite uh artist right now that's uh obviously yourself i mean obviously. oh no no i mean but, uh, no, no, no. <laughs> i don't answer uh, like every question but I'm <laughs> um, like once upon the same time uh, <laughs> who would you say is your favorite artist right now to follow? um i would have to say my favorite artist that i listen to on a consistent basis to get me going with Probably be uh, Black Moon and Tribe Called Quest, Hieroglyphics, you know, like I can listen to them. And it's funny because I was, you know, probably like 11 or 12 when I really got hardcore into them. And I think the definition of a classic album is when you first listen to that album and you felt a certain way, and then you can fast forward 10 years or more play that song and you can still get that same feeling. And that's the type of music that I try to create. And when I listen to them, I can still get those same feelings, you know. And even mm-hmm. though it was the nineties, you know, it still takes me to that place. So I mean those artists right off the top, they they bring me to that place. Mm-hmm. So and they're they're part of uh bootcamp click, native tongues, hieroglyphics. Um when I first first got into hip hop, Hit Squad, um, Heavy D, he was a big influence because he never cursed. So Mm-hmm. You know, my parents, they, he was parents approved, you know, I, I had to sneak and listen to N.W.A. and everything, you know, but, uh, you know, Rock Him, obviously LL Cool J, you know, Run DMC, those were the people like when I first got into rap, like, you know, but I still listen to them as if it just came yeah, out yesterday, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, where do you see the future of local artists heading and the opportunities open for them? Because. Do you think there is enough access for them to get out their music and blow up, you know, overnight in this age of streaming? I mean, with the internet now, anything is possible. And I think back in the day, you know, artists like me, like we were literally flying to New York and flying to L.A. and going to Capitol Records building. And, you know, you've heard about Mob Deep, you know, just Mm -hmm. like, you know, harassing Russell Simmons, like, hello, hello, hello. And but like Soldier Boy told you right now, like, all you have to do is just have a, an account, you know, just upload your songs and make it go viral, you know. And, you know, I think with people like me, I think in the future, I'm hoping, I'm hoping because most of the hip hop right now, I feel like the music that goes viral is because it's trolling the culture. It's not, it's not pure, you know. And so I want to build hip hop to the point where 
Um, the last great hip hop movement, I would say, well, one of the last uh, was Raucous. Raucous, they had, their whole roster, you know, it was most dev, quality, company flow. I mean, you know, you run it, you name it, you know, they had it. And so that's what I'm trying to do is start my own record label called Art of Respect. But if you slow it down, you got Art of Respect. But if you slow it down again, it sounds like artery. So that's about the art of respect, hip hop from mm -hmm. the heart. And so that's what I'm trying to do is bring real hip hop from the heart. And I think you're just gonna you're just gonna find more underground artists who weren't able to figure it out, figure it out. And I think that people, you know, I think record labels will be totally extinct in the next twenty years. Like interesting. Yeah. Uh, so even the name of your collectives have to be puns too, right? <laughs> yeah, like every, everything is a play <laughs> on words for me. So <laughs> I mean, you can edit it out like that, yeah, cool. but uh, Ken Biggett, I just wanted to ask, um, you mentioned Rockus. Uh, what do you think of Rhyme Sayers and some of the other movements of more underground or conscious hip-hop labels that have tried to have a, a strong push in recent years, five to ten years, and do you think that they're still viable, and where do we stand as far as local and on the national level, these independent Yeah, I mean, you know, those are, those are the labels that really inspire me to be a promoter and do the things that I'm doing, but I feel like Chance, I think he flipped the game the way that the Ruckus and the Rhyme Sayers, like, you know, I want to figure out what he's doing. Because you know what, what he's doing? He's maintaining, you know, being independent, but then he'll have a side deal with Tidal. You see what I'm saying? So he's able to, to get the major label perks with staying independent. And I think that when people say independent, I think they don't, they try to just, you know, stay within the realm of the word, you know, whereas, you know, you can still be independent. If you own your masters, which, you know, uh, Dandelion Studios, uh, they're allowing you to do that. You know, you own your masters, you own your publishing, you're independent. You see what I'm saying? So uh, if I work with title, but they don't own my masters and I still own everything, or whatever, that still makes me independent. And so I think it, you're going to see more artists who are independent try to get more national distribution you know and so that's the level that i'm trying to get to where i could put something out as a label but universal's backing me or title you know they're letting me keep my masters in my publishing but you know you can see me on the front page next to a drake but it's really underground hip-hop and i think also too we didn't really talk about it but i think the future of underground hip-hop is really going to be based on um satellite radio you know, I think, yeah, I think because if you turn on the radio stations right now, you're not going to hear anything close to boom bap. You're not unless it's like throwback hour. You know what I mean? And so but you can turn on Shade 45 or you can turn on uh, Sway in the Morning and it's an everyday thing. LL Cool J, he has his own thing. And so and I have a page on my um, on my Facebook fan page. It's called Off the Top Chicago Hip Hop. And what I do is. I promote everybody in the Chicago underground that has something going on. And also, too, I post instrumentals, you know. So maybe one day I'll have a radio station where you just hear instrumentals and it inspires everything. It's kind of like the underground inspires everything that's mainstream but doesn't get the mainstream look. So if we can find a way to flip that and still have streams of revenue, that's where, that's where we got to make it happen. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's always multiple, multiple streams, revenue streams are important and recognizing that it's always 
the entities and movements that go against the grain that ultimately become the biggest. You know, right. Chance is a great example of that. You know, we have to reinvent you know, ourselves sometimes and do something that no one else has done before to show people that it can be done. You know, we can show you better than we, tell, we can tell right. you. Right. And um, I just wanted to touch on, you did say you know, about cultivating and supporting local artists, and now with the um, technology that's available for us, uh, for artists, to put their music out there, because now you do have direct national and international distribution with the internet. Right. So be it your Spotify or your SoundCloud or where have you, on a local level, we always want to scale back, talk about dandelion, the local level, how do you think that having access to these studios, okay, uh, how this can impact to help the local economy for local artists, and you mentioned, you know, your merchandising, uh, it can be sponsorship, it can be underwritten by Allstate or somebody for an artist. So what we have to do is create some uh, more entities for local artists. What kinds of ideas and thoughts do you have being an innovator, being a leader? Because these, these MCs do look up, up to you. They're peers, the older MCs before you, and the younger ones. So you're in a unique position, which is one of the reasons why I wanted you to do this mm -hmm. interview. So tell us a little bit about those things. I know it's a so yeah, I know it's a loaded question, yeah. but I think it will be amazing to have these um, these studios and these spot locations throughout these neighborhoods in Chicago, because when you go to an underground hip hop event, a lot of us are not, you know, at the top of the hierarchy of the industry in the first place. Which means that when we meet up every Tuesday at a place like Subterranean, they're coming from all over, and so you know if. Somebody, you know, I have people all the time say, hey, man, I wish I had a studio I could go to. Or what studio do you recommend? But then when I say those studios, it's not affordable. So now, <laughs> if they can find a studio, it's in their neighborhood and it's affordable. That's amazing. And then on top of that, if they're able to record and then there's somebody like me or whoever, when they when they record their stuff, they're able to, you know, keep their masters. Um, you know, they, they get taught, you know, financial literacy, whatever the case may be. Um, you know, they, you know, if they get the help putting their music out, uh, and then those studios, you know, will have like a big party or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, and then invite studio people, I mean, not, not studio people, I'm sorry, but invite people from the industry. Sure. This is going to create that buzz, you know what I mean? And because, you know, some, I always, I always have the saying that some of the most talented people are people that are not in the industry, you know? If there's somebody who had Michael Jordan's number at the Rucker, we just will never know. You know what I mean? And so the more the more opportunities that we can give people who are deserving with the hunger, you know, that's what these studios are going to be able to, to provide. Because I feel like, you know, it's some artists that freestyle, frankly, because they can't afford to go to the studio. like. Like, oh, well, this is the easy thing to do. I'll just rap because I'm not going to go to the studio. But now we could go to the studio and now we can do it in our neighborhoods. And now, you know, we can. And then I have resources to get their CDs pressed. So now we're going from, hey, we're just freestyling on the block to, hey, you know what? Now we're going to the studio. Now we're going to press this up. And I have several venues that throw events. Now we're going to throw these events. And so now the MCs that you thought, oh, okay, no, they're just freestyling. No, we're putting out material. We have a presence. We have websites. We have content. We, we have podcasts. You see what I'm saying? So, and that's what I realized about the underground is that you have to have infrastructure. And once you have that, you create gold. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, it's important for the underground to know that somebody cares. You know what I'm saying? And they have to see how to be treated to know how to take it to the next level. So that's what it's all about. Mm -hmm. Last question. 
Do you think you could freestyle for us using the word dandelion? <laughs> yeah, he told me rap about dandelion. If you don't think that I'm a Leo, well, that man is lying. Send my M off the mic. I'm so damn defiant. But yo, how can you interview? Well, just playing the giant. I'm chilling right now. You know, I'm just chilling. I'm feeling like audio two, one top billing. But truly, though, you know what got the uniqueest flow? I use Ebonics, but fuck, get the studio. <laughs> we got to edit it. But right now, I'm feeling like the college kids because I want to be credited. That was great. That was Sam I Am. You can check him out Peace, yeah. on SoundCloud, uh, on YouTube. Check him out on Twitter at Sam I Am, the MC. We're all about plugging the Twitters here at Unplugged. But thanks so much for doing this. Thank you. Thank you. Much love, y'all. That's it for this episode. Thanks to Sam I Am, the MC, for coming on. Again, you can follow him at Sam I Am, the MC, on Twitter and Instagram. And as always, you can follow me on Twitter at ByNateGL and the brand at Unplugged. That's U-M-P-L-U-G-G underscore D. Log on to the new website, beunplugged.com, B-E-U-N-P-L-U-G-G-D.com. And yeah, until next time, see ya.